If we need a video to go viral, we can get a viral video like basically on demand. There's one problem that people are making of they're wanting to be content creators before they're business people. They're starting off an online business and they're like, yo, I'm gonna be a content creator. I'm gonna grow a personal brand. It's like, well, what have you done? You just don't have that like experience and that value to like share yet. And so the only type of building an audience that can work when you're really just starting off is trying to build some sort of like building in public audience of like, hey, follow my journey of me going from broke kid to like making my first $10,000 a month. You get that emotional buy-in and like you can build an audience that way, but you're not really gonna build an, build an audience in like the same way that I have in the same way that Formosi has. There's so many opportunities, whether it's just like getting leads for your business, getting equity in other companies, brand deals. The future, I believe, is having an overarching brand. So like kind of like Hormozy, like with acquisition.com, and I don't know if he's gonna do this or not, but like, I feel like this would be a smart play for him. All right, Alex, thanks for coming on the podcast, man. Appreciate you just being on here today. Yeah, thank you. This is a sweet setup. I love it. Yeah, you're you're nearby, right? You're in Brickle. Brickle. Yeah. How long have you been in, been there? It'll be, uh, it's actually two years at the end of this month. Okay, so we probably moved here at the same time. Yeah. So what what was your big thing moving here from like, Columbus, Ohio, which is which is a big yeah. change. Yeah, so it was actually funny. So I dropped out of college in April 2021, obviously went home and I was living with my parents in the summer. And my business partner, uh, Luca, he calls me and he's just like, are you still living in Ohio? And I was like, yeah, I still live in Ohio. And he's just like, when can I get you to move to Miami? And I was like, like I guess like now, like I don't really know. And so like the next week I like visited, I was like, this is awesome. I was like, this is you know such a sick place. And um, I signed a lease and then I moved at the end of September. But that was it. That was the only reason. He was just like, yo, move to Miami. I was like, all right. I feel like, especially like early 20s, you kind of just have to be, you kind of just pull the trigger on stuff yeah. and not really think twice about it. Like that's how I ended up moving to Miami because mm -hmm. during uh, early 2021, my friends were like, let's just go to Miami for a weekend. Yeah. Next thing you know, I'm here for four months straight and you kind of just get sucked in. I figure you just got to say yes. Yeah. So No, I mean, I totally agree. It was one of those things where I was like, I just think I need to get out of like where I'm from. I do think staying in your hometown, even if you end up going back or you're like, you know, maybe that move wasn't for me. I think you at least need to try it um, and kind of get out of your comfort zone a little bit. And it led me to meeting so many new different people, not, and not even just like business people, but I've met a lot of cool people that are like, um, NBA referees and things of that nature. So I've just met so many cool people living here and I've gotten to experience so many things that otherwise I would have never gotten to experience. Absolutely. So you, you have a business partner. Tell me more about, about the business side of things because I think, especially in this online space, everyone has education and courses, but yeah. you obviously have a, have a much different take and it's actually a, a niche that mm -hmm. a lot of people are interested in, which is SaaS. Yeah, so um, when I was running Closeify, that business partner was... a uh, Luca Nets, and I had um, another one as well. Um, but basically, that was a hiring platform to hire commission-only sales reps that made it a lot faster and made it more affordable. Um, it was basically just like an Upwork or a Fiverr, but was only for commission-only sales reps. Um, and then now, I'm focusing on a few different software companies. Um, so I have Rollade, which is now a marketplace to hire no-code developers because, and this is some like free game for the audience, I think being a freelance no-code developer is probably the easiest way to make money right now because... There's so little of them, and every single day I'm getting hundreds of DMs of people that want freelance no-code developers or or an agency, kind of like what I was telling you earlier with like my agency and like how I barely even check my DMs. Like there's just so many people that need no-code developers that can't. Um, I launched a software company called FineTuner.com. Um, so basically earlier in this year I was trying to fine-tune a model, but you normally need to know how to code. And fine-tuning is just like it's like training the Chat GPT 
basically for a specific use case. So if you wanted to make a model that can tweet just like you, you can make a CSV file of all your tweets and it would learn how to tweet like you. But normally you would need to know how to code. Uh, so we built a tool that allows you to do it without knowing how to code. Um, and so we launched that in August. Um, and then there's obviously uh, one more software project that will probably be my biggest focus if I decide to take that deal. But um, I'm not sure about it yet. Yep. So what what led you to no code SaaS specifically versus code, right? Tell me more about yeah. the, the no code side. Yeah. So when I was starting Closeify, um, I we knew we wanted to turn it into a hiring platform. And my business, I was like, you know, I don't have 50K to shell out. You know what I mean? I was 20 years old. I was still pretty new to business. I was like, I don't have that type of money yet. Um, and he was like, there's no code tools. Go scrap it together. And he said, go play around a stacker, um, Airtable, member stack, and Zapier. And so I did. And I was able to piece together a really crappy MVP. And, you know, it didn't look great, but it was functional, right? And so that kind of showed me, I was like, oh, wow, I built this for like, probably like 400 bucks, maybe less even. And so I was like, okay, this is interesting because now software was a game that originally people couldn't get into unless they had 30, 40, $50,000 to shell out to developers for an MVP. But now anyone can go onto one of these no code tools that are, you know, very drag and drop and build their own applications without breaking the bank. So it's democratizing the software world. And so like, that's why I'm so bullish on it because it just makes so much sense to me. It's kind of like how Shopify revolutionized the e-commerce game. I think these no-code tools are going to do the same for software. And you had no coding experience. Yeah, not. And I like, I'm not a technical person at all. Like I'll literally joke that like sometimes I struggle to like operate my MacBook. Like, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like I'm just not a technical guy yet. I'm able to, like, and again, I can't build on Bubble. Bubble is kind of complicated, um, but like software, like even I can figure out. Wow. So you basically just played around, learned the software, started building your first SaaS without even knowing how to code. And then like, what led you, I guess, like, tell me more about Closeify, right? That was the main first yeah. thing you bought. Like you built that, that MVP for basically 400 bucks. Yeah. Well, what, what happened next? Yeah. So I launched it um, to my Twitter audience and we got a couple of users from that and we took that money and we reinvested into a better version. So the second version was built um, using Webflow and Webflow CMS. And so that looked a little bit prettier um, and it was functional, but it still wasn't like great. But so then we relaunched on that model and we made a little bit more money. And then at this point, it was April of 2021, which is when I dropped out. And then I took $6,000 and I paid for it to be built on Bubble. Um, and so now this is the first time that it was actually like a pretty good product. Like it looked good. It was very functional. It was like one click interviews. Like it was a much, much better project uh, product. And so that got finished up being built on Bubble, so we paid for it in April, and I think it finished in June. So then we relaunched in July, and then we did a lot more money. And then we took that money, and instead of reinvesting it back into the products, it was actually pretty good now, we went and we hired cold email agency, and then we hired SEO agency, and then the snowball just kind of started from there. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how Closeify went. Interesting. So you just started building Closeify, and every time you, you built one MVP, you did a launch to your base of Twitter, were you writing on Twitter full time? No, so, and that's the craziest part. It's like I actually didn't have um, that many followers on Twitter at the time. So really, I only got my first few customers from Twitter, and then after that, like I said, by the time um, that you know we were on Bubble, it was no longer reliant on my Twitter at all. It was all cold email, LinkedIn outbound, and then you know SEO took like I think it was like three months before we got our first customer from SEO because it does take a little bit of time. But all of a sudden, then we had all these different channels that were bringing us clients, you know, referrals. Uh, it did. It did create a buzz effect pretty quickly because it was such a 
new product and you know people were so tired and fed up with the sales recruitment space because of how long they take and how much they charge so all of a sudden both sales reps and business owners were talking about closeify because the hardest problem for sales reps is finding a good offer and so they were like you're telling me the offers are going to come to me and they're going to have a high you know on track earnings and the business owners were like you're telling me i can hire way faster for way less money and they have a proven track record and so like both sides kind of started talking about it. So we did have like a pretty good, like word of mouth effect pretty quickly as well. Nice. And so what kind of eventually led you to want to sell Closeify? Yeah, it was really interesting. So I was really good at sales systems and hiring sales reps and doing all these different things. And so eventually once we had hired out so many different things and, you know, I was, I actually started to feel like a, a real CEO because we had like between 30 and $50,000 a month in overhead um, and I started to feel like a real CEO. So my business partner was like a large part of your job now has to become content. Um, because like he saw the future of like how this economy is going, like it's a attention economy now. Right. And you know, that's, you know, that's why we're here. And so I started making content around building sales teams and sales systems and all these different things. And I realized how much I hated talking about it all of a sudden. I'm like, I do not enjoy this. Like, I feel like I am trapping myself in the same thing that I was trying to escape by dropping out of school, like waking up and doing something I'm not enjoying every day. And so my video editor told me to try out making content about something different. He was like, yo, like you're not even giving me content to edit. Just make a video about something new, something that excites you. And so I have less than a hundred YouTube subs at the time. And I decide to sit down in front of my MacBook on the crappy, like MacBook, like web camera and the Mac microphone, no plan. I just know I'm going to talk about no code software because Closeify was built no code, Trackify was built no code. I'm like, I'm just going to talk about no code, like unscripted, just mind dump. And somehow that video blows up in December of last year, 2022, to like 20,000 views and adds like a thousand subscribers. And so that kind of showed me and it gave me like a gut feeling that there was a massive opportunity here, something way bigger than what I was currently doing because it blew up when I had less than a thousand subscribers. And then I started to talk about it. I'm like, let me test this out on my Twitter audience. And I make like a thread or two about it and every single one blows up. And so like, I'm like, you know what? I think I have something here that I don't think I should ignore. Like, I don't think I should just like brush this off. And so I looked to exit and I talked to a bunch of private equity firms and none of them were a good fit because they just wanted to spend six months in due diligence. And I was like, I can't wait that long. I have to like be on to the next thing. Like I understood, like I knew that timing was important. Like I knew that if I discovered that this is something that people want to learn about and that people are curious about, like it's only a matter of time before someone's the leader in that space. Like time was like of the essence. And so I started reaching out to strategic buyers and seeing who was interested and ultimately ended up coming to a deal with Luke, obviously. And it was also ideal because private equity wanted to buy me out fully. And I didn't want fully out of it because I still believe in the company. It's such a great company. And so with Luke, I was able to sell the majority to him. It was much faster. And then we closed the deal in March. And then this is what just, again, it just like reaffirms of like everything I felt in my gut when the YouTube video went viral. Literally a week after the deal closes is when my first reel goes super viral on Instagram. And then after that, I go zero to 100K in 95 days. On, on IG? On IG. TikTok, are you also on TikTok as well? I'm on TikTok. My TikTok has like 5,000 followers. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't grow the same. I honestly haven't posted on TikTok in a while. I'm going to try to reignite that yeah. fire, but I've just been so focused on Instagram. But um, yeah, it was crazy. And then obviously, you know, all these 
all these new opportunities and companies have come as a result of that growth in the last few months. That's crazy. And so I guess this is the perfect segue into content, right? Like yeah. what you sold, you sold Closeify. Yeah. What were you doing now on, on the short form side? Were you also making long form? Were you kind of just doing, you know, one piece of content a day in short form? What was that process like? Yeah. So I post two times a day, short form content, and I have not been posting once a week on YouTube long form. I'm about to, um, it's actually a lot harder than I thought to post once a week on YouTube, but a lot of it has been the, the reason behind not posting once a week has been again, kind of not knowing about some of these like unknown variables of like, am I doing this deal? Am I not doing this deal? So stuff like that, but I'm about to be posting once a week on YouTube. It's actually very important. Like I think I posted four times in a row at one point, And I think that was obviously makes sense. That was my fastest growth month on YouTube. Um, but yeah, so I do two times a day on short form. Um, and then I'm going to get to one time a week on uh, long form. Nice. And tell me about kind of your short form strategy on, on yeah. making content. Yeah. So I'm, um, I'll, I'll give away the alpha here of, I didn't understand why my videos went viral at first. And then as I started to grow and grow, uh, go viral. I was like, you know what? Why? I actually didn't know. I was like, why am I like going viral so often? And I realized I was able to break it down into what I believe is a pretty good formula. And I think it's a good analysis is like, neither of us are like Tate, right? Like yeah. we're not, we're not bringing people to a new platform like he is to rumble. And so what that means is the audience that I want and the audience that you want is someone else's audience right now. Like someone else has the eyeballs that you want right now. And so in a sense, you have to steal people's audiences. Um, and so they don't know who you are. And so in order for them to know who we are, we have to either say something or someone that they do know. And so this is why name dropping videos do so well. Is if, you, if you name drop a name that they know, someone that's trending, you know they're going to pay attention. Um, and then the big part about it is if you want to actually get followers, you have to convert a belief that they previously had. So my most viral video is when I say Iman Godzi shut down his agency to go all in on SaaS. And then I say Jordan Welch is telling you to do e-com, um, but he's doing SaaS. And then Sam Ovens shut down consulting.com to go all in on SaaS. All true, by the way. Yep. So one, it was slightly conscious. So first off, I said Iman. Everyone knows who Iman is. Everyone pays attention from the get-go. I hooked them in. And then by saying he shut down his agency to go all in on SaaS, it's slightly controversial. Not in like a, listen, I don't believe, like you're going to tarnish your brand if you like just like try to like go viral by bashing people. Like I'm not bashing Iman when I say this. Like I have great respect for Iman. I'm a student of Iman's like, but um, it was controversial because people like, oh no, he shut down his agency for this reason or he's not going all in on SaaS. He's going all in on, on this. Like it just creates a little bit of controversy, which gets people fighting on both sides in the comments. Um, and then... I explain why they're going all in on software after that, after saying three people that they know, the fact that, again, software builds the most enterprise value. Like if Iman wants to get to, you know, 100 million to billion dollar status, it's true. He's not going to get there by running an agency. He's not going to, he's, maybe Iman could get there with info products just because of like <laughs> how big his brand is and how much volume he actually does. But most people will never get to $100 million with info. Um, they'll need a liquidation event of some sort. They'll have to sell some sort of company and software companies sell for the highest multiples. And so I explained that. And then the people that stayed till the end and they realized all that, their like belief was like converted of like, you know what, maybe I shouldn't do an agency. Maybe I shouldn't do e-com because these guys really are doing software. 
And so their belief changed. And because I was the person that changed their belief, they were like, I'm going to follow this guy because I want to see what else he has to say. Smart. And that's a great way to, to break it down. So, yeah. you know, you know who actually, now that I think about it and you just gave that formula, I don't know if you know who, uh, who Tuzer is. Yeah. Yeah. But he, he's crushing he, it. He's crushing it. He's crushing it. Shout out Tuzer. But he's, he's doing the same thing where he's like, mm -hmm. this is the hook, which is like this. You don't know about this brand that's doing yeah. $30 million a year. Yep. So yeah, he's bringing awareness to something new and his, his content. I mean, you know, uh, his content is amazing. Yeah. Um, you know, he's one of the people that is really crushing it as well that, you know, we uh, swap notes every now and again. Nice. And so what's like your process to come up with, with all of these ideas? Cause you need to be, yeah. it's, it's not content to nonstop game. It's, so. it's actually crazy because I'm not like sitting down and like writing out videos like every morning. It's like, I plan a shoot with my video team and then I kind of just sit down and I'm like, what do I want to talk about? Or like, what did I learn? Because the thing is, I'm still like, Alex Hermosi said, he's like, people ask me how I get my content ideas. And he's like, it's easy when you're doing the thing. I kind of have the same belief of like, I'm still running like multiple companies every single week. So every single week, I'm finding things that work. Every single week, I'm messing things up and like having, you know, little failures that I can teach people about. Um, but um, yeah, for the most part, I'm not ever really scripting them out. Like I'll come up with the hook in my head and then I just kind of free flow. Uh, for the video. Like, it's not like, I know some people script out every single word of their short form videos. I just come up with the hook in my head and then I kind of just let it flow. Um, so, and you might film it a few times. Honestly, no, I, it's wow. almost every single video I do is one take. It's like swear on my life, my video team, you can ask them. They say I'm like the only client that they have that shoots everything in one take. But like, I swear on my life, almost every single video I shoot is one take. That's crazy. So you'll sit down once a week, film enough short form content where you can post twice a day and then do it same thing every yeah. single week. Yeah. That's crazy. And so how long is that taking you to get a week's worth of short form content? Like 45 minutes. Wow. Yeah. Including coming up with the ideas and, yeah. and scripting. Yeah. And like 45 minutes, I'll probably shoot 20 to 30 videos. That's insane. Yeah. And so of that, how many would you say go viral? It depends because we don't make every single video intended to go viral. Um, so social media is a funnel, like everything, right? Mm -hmm. And so I've talked about this before. I don't know if I've said this on a podcast before. So it's like a funnel. So you have your top of funnel, middle of funnel, bottom of funnel. So top of funnel is the content that you want to go viral. So it's just like awareness. It's like the, the videos like, what is SaaS even? Because a lot of people, you say SaaS, they don't know what that is. So it's like bringing awareness. What is SaaS? It's like the name dropping videos. Um, it's all just like convincing them of why they should start a software company. Like here's three reasons why you should start a software company. Um, convincing them, don't do agency, don't do sales, um, you know, don't do e-com, do SaaS. Convincing them how. But now I, I've gained this big audience. If I just keep telling my audience that follows me, here's why you should do SaaS. Here's why you should, they're going to be like, you convinced me, like <laughs> tell me how, yes. you know what I mean? So then you need to get into the middle of funnel. So it's like, here's some software pricing strategies. Here's three different outreach methods you can do. You know, here's what your cold email script should be. Um, so it's more the tutorials and the how-tos and the much more niche content. Those videos are not going to go viral and they're not supposed to go viral, but they nurture and that they turn the people that are just kind of like following their code. Oh, let me see what this guy has to say to the people are like, wow, like I would buy from this guy. Cause like he's given so much value. And then they use me for my no code development agency. 
um, you know, things like that. And then, you know, like the bottom of funnels, like when I put up the story posts and, you know, put a Cali link or, you know, whatever it is. Um, so, but if we need a video to go viral, like we can get a viral video, like basically on demand because we've just kind of like cracked the formula. Wow. So, yeah. so most of your videos right now are more middle of funnel because yes. you have an audience and yes. obviously once, once you build value there, you build their trust then that's when you can have the call to action and, and exactly. pitch your, your agency. Exactly. Nice. Nice. And so I guess like with, with this whole content play, right? Mm -hmm. Obviously you're going to continue doubling down on short form. Yeah. It sounds like you're going to do long form as well. What's the big picture for you in terms of, of content? Like what have, what have you learned from growing so fast on content? And like any opportunities that you've seen there, not even just personally, but on, on business opportunity sides too. Man, there's like, I'm kind of like what I told you offline. There's so many opportunities that come to you once you have a brand. Um, I'll say this, there's one problem that people are making of they're wanting to be content creators before they're business people. And so people want to, they're starting off an online business and they're like, yo, I'm going to be a content creator. I'm going to grow a personal brand. It's like, well, what have you done? You know what I mean? It's like, you don't really have... And I don't mean that in like an insulting manner, but like you just don't have that like experience and that value to like share yet. And so the only type of building an audience that can work when you're really just starting off is trying to build some sort of like building in public audience of like, hey, follow my journey of me going from like broke kid to like making my first $10,000 a month. You get that emotional buy-in and like you can build an audience that way, but you're not really gonna build an, build an audience in like the same way that I have in the same way that Hormozy has. Um, and so you need to be a business person first. Like I ran a business for four years before I started like putting out short form content. Um, and I think that's a large part of why I was able to grow quickly is it wasn't like I was just sharing what worked and what didn't work for me. Um, there's so many opportunities, whether it's just like getting leads for your business, getting equity in other companies, you know, getting, you know, brand deals. I mean, there's so many opportunities in, in content, but the big picture is here's the thing is like my personal brand and personal brands in general are not going to be enough anymore. Um, so there's this, there's this kind of like this trend that's occurring of a creator economy. It's like pretty soon, like, cause let's, let's say I have a software company, which I do. So let's say fine tuner grows only for my personal brand. And you know, I'm, I'm here preaching about software because the exit multiples are so great. Right. And I try to sell fine tuner in two years and they're like, well, it doesn't come with your Instagram account. And that's, the only way that it grows right now. You know what I mean? I'm not going to get the typical software multiple in that case, which I shouldn't because it's dependent on me. The future, I believe, is having an overarching brand. So like kind of like Hormozy, like with acquisition.com, and I don't know if he's going to do this or not, but like if, I feel like this would be a smart play for him. But I mean, he doesn't even need it his brain is so big and he doesn't plan something. Anyways, it'd be like acquisition.com, and then he hires a bunch of creators underneath him that are all building media assets that acquisition.com owns um, the rights to. So it's like, for me, it's like having people go make tutorial videos for Fine Tuner and, you know, on YouTube, making YouTube pages, but Fine Tuner owns the rights to that YouTube page. Fine Tuner owns the rights to the email list that they build from that YouTube. And so building like media conglomerations, kind of like the Barstool model, um, you know, kind of like what they've done, but doing that for like every single business because we're moving away from a world where you have like a tech moat and we're moving to a world where distribution is everything and owning eyeballs is everything. And so I think every single business, really no matter what business it is, needs to be building a media conglomeration. And I think that's how you win big in 2023 and beyond.
Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and a lot of business models are doing this. Like Dave Ramsey's, yep. from what I know, multi nine figures a year, but it's not just Dave Ramsey. He right. has like six different faces as mm -hmm. a brand. Patrick Bet David, same yep. thing. He has like multiple brands and hosts and stuff. So I, I do believe yep. the the creator economy is is the future. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. What you know what's interesting though? When you're in the space, it feels like like we've been doing this for a while and mm -hmm. like there's a lot of short form content creators that we know who have been doing this, but sure. I feel like brands and companies are actually still slow to adapt. Obviously they've they've, you know, some have but for the most oh, yeah. part, even if they have, it's not like to this extent, like they're not treating, you know, media as, as how valuable it should be. Oh, they're, they're so slow to start. Um, and I don't think it's going to be like a mainstream thing. Like, you know, it's in five years, it'll probably be like every business has hires creators. It's one of the first hires to make. It's going to be obvious. But right now, very few people are like, like what B2B software do you know? That's like, oh, let me go hire creators. And people think, oh, like, how do you make content work for B2B software? Like, bro, I promise you it works. Like, I promise you it works. So in five years, it's going to be so obvious of like, oh, creators is like one of the first hires that I should make. Like yeah. video and content creation is the future. But um, it's not going to be obvious for a while. And so that's why right now it's so opportunistic. What would you recommend? Let's say someone's out there, right? They want to start a SaaS. Maybe they've, they've been in this online space for a while. Maybe they've just made good money online, whatever it is. But they're like, okay, you convince me. Mm -hmm. I want to start a SaaS. I want to start a B2B SaaS. Mm -hmm. What game plan would you lay for them for the first three, 30, 60, 90 days, even the first year in terms of how they should get started, how much it's going to cost, and like what that strategy should be? Yeah. So once you have an idea, the first thing that you want to do is validate it. So it's like, how do you validate your idea? I like to go ask the people that I intend on selling to. So if I plan on selling to agency owners, I'm gonna go talk to as many agency owners as, as possible. Like, how painful of a problem is this for you? Like, what solutions exist and are you currently using any of them? What are the problems with the solutions that you're using? This is like exactly what I did with Closeify. They were telling me all their problems with sales recruiters, it takes too long, their reps aren't experienced, they charge too much, yada, yada, yada. Um, and so once you talk to the people you intend on selling enough, you're gonna have an idea of like, if it's a validated idea or not. And to take it a step further, before you go and begin developing it, developing it yourself or paying a developer, you're just going to whip up a super easy early bird waitlist page. So you can use a super cheap um, landing page builder like Card or Framer, and you make an early bird waitlist where you just call out your ideal client profile, you say the main benefits of your software, and then the main benefits for joining the waitlist. So it could be like um, you could call out agency owners, use our software to track your sales team's performance, to you know increase their close rate, and then sign up for the waitlist for 20% off launch plus a free info product on scaling your sales team, something like that. And then you go in uh, Facebook groups and you join groups of your ideal client profile, agency owners, and you make like long value driven posts where like they need your software to implement it. So it's like, here's how to increase your sales team's performance using X software, you explain it. And then at the end, you're like, this launches at the end of the month, join the wait list. You get a bunch of people on your wait list and you can also just like, uh, you can cold outreach people on LinkedIn, like whatever you want to do to get people on the wait list. You get like 50 to 100 people on the wait list. And uh, if you have an audience, you can also promote the wait list to your audience. Um, you get 50 to 100 people on the audience or on the wait list. And you're like, okay, now I have 50 to 100 people to launch to. Now you can start developing it or you can go pay a developer depending on how technical you are or it's just like if you have the money, like, you know, you probably can't be bothered to learn. Um, and then it's probably going to take 
anywhere between four to eight weeks for it to be built, depending what platform you're building on, how complex it is, and then it gets finished up. And now you have 50 to 100 people to launch to via email. And then, you know, that should get your initial users. And then you just continue outbound campaigns and you do what I did, take the money, recycle it into making a better product, take the money, recycle it into hiring, um, you know, sales reps, different things like that. Yeah. And I think, I think the, the validating the offer is so yeah. underrated, right? Because mm-hmm. it's so easy, especially if you have a little bit of money as well, where it's right. like, let me just throw money at the wall to build something versus like, you can validate it, but basically by just asking about people's pain points. Right. So, yeah. Nice. And so how much would all of that cost to do essentially to get, you know, the first few MVPs out, would you say? Yeah. So it totally depends. If you're going to build it yourself, you could literally do it extremely affordably. Like, you know, talking around a thousand dollars, less than a thousand dollars. If you're going to build it yourself, do everything. If you want to pay, if you want to start off on like, you know, the best builder bubble and you want to pay a bubble developer, you're probably going to pay anywhere from like six to like $15,000, depending how complex of an idea it is. And, you know, making sure that you stay away from cheap developers, like you could probably find developers to do it for less, but cheap developers can be a very costly mistake. So I just stay away from them. Probably six to $15,000 if you want to start on bubble. And then you're never really going to have to move off of bubble, which is the cool thing. Wow. And where do you, where do you find these developers? Yeah. So finding developers can be tricky. Um, I have my lead developer. He was actually referred to me by someone else, but um, now I have Rollaid, which is a marketplace to hire no code developers. Um, but besides that, I mean, there's there's still like your traditional ways of doing it. Um, there's Facebook groups. You know, Bubble has a like a little marketplace where you can hire their top agencies and freelancers. I think there's freelancers too. Mm-hmm. Um, but going back to what I was saying earlier, it is tricky to hire good Bubble developers right now. And that's why I said I think it's one of the best opportunities. If you were like, yo, I want to be a freelancer and just make five to ten k a month. No co-developer, biggest opportunity right now. Like I promise. Yeah. See, I, I think SaaS, the traditional thought of SaaS, like oh, you need, yep. multi six figures to start right. a SaaS company. You need to raise funding. You need to do yep. all these things. But it sounds like this method for someone who wants to be cost effective and honestly just to like prove out proof of concept. Right. You could always go mm-hmm. down the more expensive path later. But I think what it sounds right. like is this can just get that proof of concept to test. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. I mean, it's democratizing software. It's making it faster. It's making it more affordable. And um, you hit the nail on the head there with like, if you did have to go to native code for any reason down the road, Mm -hmm. like you can literally download the code and then switch easily. Like, it's not like this big thing that's going to like be a huge problem. And then the other thing is, let's say, you know, whatever, some people are just so anti no code for whatever reason. So let's say they start on native code and we start on no code and we're able to get to market in four to six weeks and they get to market in six months with their MVP. So it's like, we're done in 30 days and we can start getting users and then we can get feedback and then we can iterate and we can get feedback and then we can iterate all the way up until the six month mark when they're just launching their MVP. Like we're gonna be so far ahead of them because we've already gotten so much feedback and made so many changes that they don't know the feedback that we got. And so we have a huge advantage over them because we're just able to move so much faster and iterate so much faster that they're now just getting their MVP out. So that's one of the biggest advantages to no code as well. Interesting. What about if you don't have any coding, like project management experience, right? Like for, for the sure. person out there who wants to build their first SaaS, what, what are some initial roadblocks or, or common mistakes you've seen? Sure. So it's tricky, right? Cause I'm not a technical guy either. So it's like, it's hard for me to know, like, 
you know, who's a good bubble developer? Like, how do I vet them? Um, because even if something looks good, they can build it on the back end in a way that's like clunky and that makes it hard to build on top of later on if you were to ever switch developers or, you know, whatever the case may be. And so I do think it can be really helpful to have a technical co-founder. Now, I don't think it's a good idea for it to be like a 50-50 split. I don't think 50-50 ever works out. But if you can have a really technical co-founder that's able to like really be like the head of product, I think that can be a very good thing, especially for first-time founders. Um, but besides that, I would just try to like learn the very, very basics. Um, but it is tricky as a first-time founder with no technical experience. You're like, how do I even know if they're doing a good job or not? Like, how do I like, how do you even know if the price that they're telling you is reasonable or not? Um, so that's where it's helpful to be able to like, you know, consult with someone that's a little bit more experienced, you know, even if it's just like booking a consulting call with someone in the space and be like, Hey, can you look over this agreement with me and tell me if this makes sense? Um, because the last thing that you want to do is get burned by a, a really crappy developer. hundred percent. And then I guess like, what about when, when stuff starts building, right? Like how mm -hmm. do you have any recommendations on iteration, questions to ask, MVPs, how often someone should be talking to their clients at, at each step to really yeah, get that so product market Especially fit. as the founder, you want to be so close to your customers. Like you want to be interviewing them, hopping on Zoom with them. You want to have um, every single time someone churns so they cancel their subscription, you want to have an automated survey get sent out, like asking them literally, why did you churn? Like, was it pricing? Was it a feature that, you know, we didn't have that you wanted? Um, getting all that feedback so that way you can then iterate it because basically what happens with software is there's a constant feedback loop of you get you know feedback from your users, you pass it along to your developer, you iterate the feedback, and then that's like your new like unique selling point to like market back to new users. You get new users, they give you feedback, you iterate, you change it, a new unique selling point. Like it's kind of like it's a nonstop loop that goes on forever. So it's really important for you as the founder though, especially for like the first like you know couple iterations in the first probably like six months of business to be really close and talking to your customers. Um, and then after that, you know, making sure that you have like the exit surveys in place and, you know, really good customer support team. Um, you know, we actually have a 24 seven, like customer support call center. Um, so having something like that, that allows you to, you know, really be in touch with what your customers are, you know, thinking about your product. Yeah, absolutely. Man, you're dropping nuggets for anyone who wants to build SaaS right now. That's the goal. Exactly. So on top of, of your agency SaaS making content, I know you also have a newsletter. Mm -hmm. So tell me more about that. Like, when did you start that? Was that the same time as your short form and, and how often are you posting and, and what are you writing about there? Yeah. So I started that as like my first reel was going viral because I was like, I don't want to waste this traffic. Right. Um, I sent almost daily, not quite every single day, probably four to five times a week if I had a guess. Um, and it's mainly SaaS related content. It's like, it's normally like I'll send something that is just working for me, like that I learned this week, like, hey, here's what's working like live, like right now, like maybe I put out a video like three months ago and maybe maybe it's outdated now. So it's like, here's the most up-to-date things that are working like every single day in my business that I'll share. But then every now and again, um, I'll just completely say what's on my mind. Like I might share a story. Um, I might, you know, share something that's supposed to be like a little bit inspirational um, because I know sometimes people just need a little bit of a nudge to, you know, start making the change that, will put them in the right direction for what they actually want. Um, and so I think it's a little bit more of an intimate way to interact with my audience. And I, I really enjoy writing. Like, I think if I wasn't doing what I was doing, and like content is copywriting, right? You're just then saying it. But it's like, you know, if I wasn't doing what I was doing now, I'd probably be a copywriter because I just love to write so much. 
Um, so yeah, I send four or five times a day there and, uh, it's a little, it's still business. Like, uh, I still have my own selfish business interest with it. I still use it to promote some of my different companies, but ultimately I just really, it's just like my favorite one because I just love to like, I wake up every single morning, I get my coffee. And the first thing I do is if I'm writing an email that day is I, I'll write that email. Wow. So that's, that's kind of your, your morning routine is you knock out that. that yeah. It kind of just like gets my like brain going. I think writing is like a great way to just kind of like wake up your brain. It's like, it's also like, it's not a very, um, it's like not something that I need to be super focused for. Like when I wake up, I'm not like super like focused to go, go do some like super deep work or like, you know, like build out some sort of like system or whatever. So it's just like a good way to like wake up my brain and kind of get flowing. Yeah. Nice. And how has that traffic been because i think the the tough thing is being able to get traffic from one audience to yeah. another so how have you been able to do that yeah it converts pretty well um you know i have about one fifth of my audience on my newsletter so i feel like 20 percent converting is that's good pretty good that's yeah. very good yeah so so nice. yeah i think it's converted pretty well um, and it's just another touch point with them. So I think it's important to have multiple touch points with them. Exactly. I think that's when they can, when they can get to know you on a deeper level right. as well. Right. So, and you don't really have, do you have like a framework for how you write as well? I think for you, you're kind of just, you're more go with the flow. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very like. go with the flow. Um, so I use it like a template where it's like, it'll have like a section that's like things worth checking out. And then it's like my companies and it's like ways I can help you. And it's my companies. And then it's so like, that's the only like, templated part that's like the same every day but then just like it says like no code like uh tips and tricks for the day and then underneath that is where i just mind dump whatever's on my mind that day absolutely you know what's actually a good business idea for you what's that is you could have a an info or, or course on basically how to become a no code developer yeah i've thought about it um the problem is i'm not like the technical guy right so yeah. i wouldn't be the one like actually teaching it and so there would be a little bit of disconnect there of like me promoting it and then um them seeing someone else teaching it but um but if you had a good face for it yeah right. no absolutely but there's also um there's so many great free resources out there like you know bubbles got their own free academies um you know all these platforms have obviously their own tutorials because it's advantageous for people to know how to use their platforms um so but um yeah i mean it's it's definitely a good idea yeah. um the, the, the one thing I, i'll challenge you there is there's so much free resource nowadays there, no, absolutely. on so much stuff and, that I mean, people just want to buy. From absolutely. And here's the thing. I think um, it, it's kind of like everything now. It's like the information is, it's fine to be free, but what's more valuable is if uh, they can actually get placement. And so it's like, I have so many overflow of opportunities that I could kind of just like pass them off because mm. um, there's so many deals, even though like our, our dev agency is a 10 K minimum. Um, and it's only because we have so much volume that it's like, you know, a $5,000 deal. It sounds bad, but it's like literally not worth our time. Cause you know, I'll, I'll make maybe $2,000 on a $5,000 deal and, um, it takes up my devs capacity. And so we don't even take those. So I just send those deals to rolly.io, which is that marketplace that I bought. Interesting. But yeah, I mean, then that, that allows you to basically make a lot of money. Cause if you have your own, let's say. And a lot of people, or the the big multi-figure people in the in the online info space, mm -hmm. they kind of have that, which is like they'll have a a product on training closers and setters, right. and then they'll have like the B two B side, right, and then feed it. Yeah. So you could do that, and that could yeah make you a lot of money. So yeah, yeah, no, it's that it's interesting. Probably the hardest part 
about having the audience. There's there's so many things like that though. Like there's like so many things that I'm like, wow, like this can make a lot of money. This can make a lot of money. This can make a lot of money. <laughs> and so it's like literally knowing like which I'm a big believer in like practicing what I preach and like what I preach is like like play the long game and like focus on things that build enterprise value. And I, I believe in that very firmly. Like my cash flow is like good for my dev agency. Dev agency doesn't build much enterprise value, probably none, because again, it's tied to me personally. And so I'm kind of like, which play is the one that I can focus on for the next three, four years and, you know, sell for multi eight, if not nine figures and be like my big play. Um, so that's kind of like where my head is at. Cause I have so many different things that, like you said, is like, you know, it would make a lot of money. Um, I have a lot of things like that. I'm like, which one is like the smartest to focus on? Yeah. And I think, uh, it's like what you said, it's, it's knowing what you need to do as an entrepreneur which I think once you get to a certain point in the business game, you know what you need to do. Yeah. Practicing it is what's tough. Right. Right. Because like, I think if you continue on your path and you know, maybe you launch an education product, maybe you don't, you'll eventually get to eight figures. Right. But I think where a lot of people drop off and not get to nine figures is doing what's tough. Yeah. Playing the enterprise value game, playing, yep. you know, playing long-term and, and just not doing too much, just the, the mm -hmm. one or two things that are going to get you to exactly that game. So exactly. And it's like the hardest part that I think a lot of people struggle with is just delaying gratification because oftentimes when you focus on building enterprise value, you're taking a bit of a cash flow hit. Like it, you're, it's more advantageous for you to, instead of paying yourself a ton of money, keep it in the business because then the enterprise value grows. Yep. But it's hard, especially when you live somewhere like Miami where you're seeing everyone's got the car, they've got the watch, they do the boats every week, they do the nice dinners every single week. Like they do all these things and you're like, I want to do that too. So I could just go do like the the heavy cash flow business. Yeah. And so like, it's hard because you have to be disciplined and you have to like remember in like the back of your head of like, I'm like not going to do this for like two years because I'm going to be able to do this even better in like five years. Uh, but it's a very tough thing to do is like when you're surrounded by and seen every day of being like, yo, I'm, I'm not going to pick the cash flow business. Yeah. It's, it's the saying that like the environment that motivates and, and gets you there is that same environment that's going to prevent you right from getting to that next level. So double edged sword. Yeah. And it's, it's the concept of lifestyle creep. Yeah. When you, you don't have money and you first start making money, yep. the immediate natural human reaction is what can I buy? Yeah. Right. Because you're, what's going to happen is you're going to meet other successful people along the mm -hmm. way. They have the watches, they have the cars, they have, yep. they're going out, they're going to dinners and that stuff is not cheap. It adds up yeah. very fast. And then you end up becoming kind of like a prisoner yeah. essentially, which is, which is ironic because yeah. you need to keep working and making all this money and, and cash flow to sustain this lifestyle that you didn't have previously. And now you can't get to that next level. Yep. I totally agree. And I've, I've seen it happen like quite a few times. And I think that's one thing I did a really good job of. I haven't let lifestyle creep get to me. I've done a pretty good job, in my opinion, of like, and by no means do I live frugally or in a cheap manner, but like below my means of like, you know, not like, you know, not driving a crazy car and, you know, little things like that. So I think I've done a good job of it, um, but it's definitely, it's definitely tough at times. I think that kind of wraps up, I feel like a lot of good things. We got a lot of good nuggets on... Yeah just B2B SaaS and, and everything. So I appreciate you sharing your SaaS story and, and yeah. honestly just dropping a lot of content on making short form as well. Cause I think anyone yeah. who's watching this is probably interested in oh, yeah. both of those things. And, and if you 
take the nuggets from this video, I think that's that's really the key to to building that next big thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, content and uh, content and software, two things that are like infinitely scalable. Hundred percent. Thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, thank you, bro. This yeah. is awesome.